Welcome, and thank you for joining us for today's CME podcast. PrimeMed podcasts are dedicated to providing on-the-go clinicians with pertinent, evidence-based primary care content that won't take too much time out of your busy schedule. Information about CME credits and faculty for today's podcast can be found within this activity's landing page on primemed.com slash podcast. That's pri-med.com slash podcasts. Be sure to also go to this location in order to claim your CME credits after the program. Thank you and enjoy. Hello and welcome to PrimeMed's podcast on severe asthma. We welcome Dr. Matthew Drake. Dr. Drake is an assistant professor for the Division of Pulmonary and Critical Care and the Associate Program Director at the Oregon Health and Science University. The learning objectives of this podcast are, one, recognize the unmet need in current management of severe asthma and the burdens it imparts on patients in your practice. Two, identify distinct asthma subtypes, phenotypes, and endotypes. Three, identify patients with severe eosinophilic asthma through biomarkers and other measures of assessment. And four, select asthma pharmacology with regard to patient subtype, phenotype, or endotype. Before we get started, let me remind everyone that this podcast is supported by an independent educational grant from GlaxoSmithKline. For more information, please visit the activity page for this podcast on www.primed.com. Hi, everyone, and thanks for joining me today. My name is Matt Drake. I'm a pulmonologist at Oregon Health and Science University in Portland, Oregon. And I'm going to be talking a little bit today about severe asthma and some really great questions that came up after the recent asthma session. So the first question that came up is, what is the definition of severe asthma and why is it important to identify patients with it? Furthermore, how can primary care clinicians identify potential patients with severe asthma? So I'd start by saying that identifying severe asthma in the clinic really starts with an understanding of what difficult to treat asthma is, since severe asthma represents a subset of patients with difficult to treat asthma. A patient with difficult to treat asthma has uncontrolled symptoms and or frequent exacerbations despite being on genus step four or five therapies. So as a reminder, those are patients who are on a medium or high dose inhaled corticosteroid with a second controller medication, and they may also be on maintenance oral corticosteroids. Not all difficult to treat asthma is severe asthma. And in many cases, difficult to treat asthma improves after modifiable factors are addressed, such as improving inhaler technique, improving their adherence, doing smoking cessation, and treating comorbidities that may make their asthma worse. Patients can also be classified with difficult to treat asthma if they need step four or five therapies to maintain good asthma control and are unable to decrease, decrease their medications without worsening their asthma symptoms. So how does that relate to severe asthma? Well, severe asthmatics by definition have difficult to treat asthma, but they have uncontrolled symptoms despite good adherence to step four or five therapy and they've also had all their modifiable risk factors addressed. Those patients meet criteria for severe asthma. And so why is it important to identify them in primary care? Well, foremost, severe asthmatics have increased risk of complications related to their asthma, things like hospitalizations, intubations, or even death. And ensuring that they're on appropriate treatment is really important for addressing this risk. One of those treatments may include biologic medications. These are monoclonal antibodies that have recently come on the market to treat severe asthmatics. 
And when considering managing these patients, it's really best to co-manage these patients between a primary care physician and a pulmonary consultant who can help guide some of the advanced decision-making regarding therapies. So our next question is, what is an asthma phenotype and an endotype, and how do they relate to severe asthma treatment? Well, phenotypes are used to group patients with common observable characteristics. And endotypes are an extension of this, this classification that groups patients with common underlying mechanisms. And from an asthma perspective, asthmatics are grouped into two broad phenotypes, known as type 2 high and type 2 low asthma. To distinguish between these two groups, we most commonly measure blood eosinophils and a fraction of exhaled nitric oxide. So if a patient has elevated blood eosinophils greater than 150 cells per microliter, or a fraction of exhaled nitric oxide, also known as a pheno, greater than 50 parts per billion, they meet criteria for type 2 high asthma. If these biomarkers are less than those thresholds, they meet criteria for type 2 low asthma. Patients with severe asthma can fit into either of these phenotypes. Now, differentiating these phenotypes becomes really important when deciding on whether to start biologic therapies. And several have recently been approved for type 2i asthmatics specifically. You may have heard of some of these drugs. They include mepolizumab, known as Nucala, Reslizumab, also known as Syncare, Benrelizumab, known as Facemra, and Dupilumab, known as Dupixent. There's also an older drug named omalizumab, or Zolair, that has been used since about 2005 to treat allergic asthma specifically, which is a subtype within the type 2 high asthma phenotype. All of these agents decrease exacerbation frequency by approximately one half, and they can also allow patients on oral steroids to reduce their dose or stop completely. Now you might have noticed I hadn't mentioned anything about biologics for type 2 low asthma. Unfortunately, there are no currently approved biologic options for patients with type 2 low asthma, and hopefully, hopefully, that changes in the near future as this remains a major unmet need in asthma. It really reinforces the point, though, that current biologics are very ineffective at treating type 2 low asthmatics, which reinforces the point of doing good phenotyping when deciding to start these advanced therapies. Now the next question is, are there specific diagnostic tests that a primary care provider should order prior to referral to a pulmonologist for asthma? So I'd reiterate here that good asthma care really starts with ensuring patients are trained in inhaler use and are using these medications as prescribed. Patients should also have an asthma action plan, which empowers them to guide their care based on their symptoms. And then when you see them in clinic, you should routinely test asthma control using a validated questionnaire such as the asthma control test. Prior to referral to a specialist, you should also consider obtaining pulmonary function testing that includes pre and post bronchodilator spirometry and a diffusion capacity. Now what tests are necessary before starting biologics for severe asthma? Well, as I mentioned before, measuring blood eosinophils and measuring a fraction of exhaled nitric oxide, a pheno, are the two most common biomarkers used to identify type 2 high asthma. These are a must before starting biologics. I'd also me recommend measuring an IgE level if you're testing blood eosinophils because people with an elevated IgE may meet criteria for allergic asthma and might be considered for omalizumab. The next question is, what are the most common alternative diagnoses in difficult to control asthma and how do you identify them? So this is a really tough question in part because there's no gold standard test for confirming asthma, and because shortness of breath, which is so common in asthma, is also so frequently seen with other diseases. 
When considering asthma in your differential diagnosis, a good primary care workup will be sure to exclude other airway diseases like COPD by obtaining PFTs, as well as working up cardiac causes for chest tightness and dyspnea. Other less common diagnoses like bronchomalacia and vocal cord dysfunction, these can be harder to diagnose and would be an excellent reason to obtain pulmonary consultation to help with the workup. Our next question is, how do you determine which patients are candidates for biologic medications? And what are the indications for them? And how do you decide which biologics to use if a patient has both an elevated IgE and elevated eosinophils? So the first step when considering a patient for a biologic involves the basics. Confirm you have the correct diagnosis and ensure that they're taking their medications as prescribed. The next step involves determining their phenotype. And as I mentioned before, type two high asthma patients should have an elevated blood eosinophil count greater than 150 cells per microliter and or an elevated fraction of a high exhaled nitric oxide, a pheno, greater than 50 parts per billion. If they meet these criteria, they're more likely to respond to currently available biologics. Now, four of the five biologics on the market are indicated for all forms of type two high asthma. And that includes mepolizumab, benralizumab, reslizumab, and dupilumab. The decision regarding which of these agents to use is largely based on insurance coverage and provider familiarity. It's worth noting that mepolizumab, benralizumab, and dupilumab can be given as subcutaneous injections and can be administered at home, while reslizumab requires an IV infusion in the clinic. Now, dupilumab is also indicated for atopic dermatitis, and so if a patient has asthma and atopic dermatitis, dupilumab may be the right option. Omalizumab is unlike these other agents in that it targets IgE. It doesn't target a pathway, cytokine pathway like the, other, like the other biologics. And so allergic asthmatics with an IgE level between 30 and 1300 in children, or in adults between 30 and 700, may be good candidates for omalizumab. So how do I make my choice? If a patient has both an elevated IgE and elevated eosinophils and meets criteria for type 2 high asthma, I will typically start mepolizumab, benralizumab, or dupilumab, since these agents are indicated for all type 2 high asthma regardless of their atopic status. And also, they can be given at home. With all these agents, the ideal patient is a patient with severe asthma who demonstrates good adherence and yet still has frequent exacerbations or requires oral corticosteroids for asthma control, since these are really the two primary outcomes that have shown improvement with the biologic agents. Our next question is, are there other new treatment options for patients with severe asthma? So one of the other recent therapies that's come online for severe asthma is called bronchial thermoplasty. This involves a probe being placed through a bronchoscope and it applies heat to the airway wall. And that heat ablates airway smooth muscle and reduces exacerbations. This therapy is largely used in patients who are not candidates for biologic therapies, such as type two low asthmatics, and should only be performed in centers with expertise in the procedure. Our next question is, are there any contraindications to using biologics? So the short answer is no, there's no absolute contraindications to biologic agents other than if the patient has had a history of hypersensitivity to one of these agents. Next question is, do you have any tips or advice to help get biologics covered by insurance? Well. Really, there's no magic here. Given the cost of these agents, which can be upward of $30,000 a year or more, it's understandable that insurance companies often require additional information before covering biologic drugs. 
And as you know, there's no magic to dealing with insurance companies, but you can set yourself up for the best interaction by having a clear documentation of what tests were performed to confirm type 2 high asthma, what meds have been tried previously and failed, and how often a patient is having exacerbations. It's also important to note if a patient is taking oral corticosteroids continuously through the past year. Our last question in its COVID-19 related is, is there anything special primary care clinicians should know or consider for their asthma patients in the time of COVID-19? For example, are there any risks to using inhaled steroids and should, they be, and should primary care providers be doing in-office spirometry? Well, interestingly, while respiratory viruses are a common trigger for exacerbations, this does not appear to be the case for COVID. If anything, asthmatics appear to be less likely to be admitted with complications related to COVID. And we don't fully understand why this is. I'd also note that they're still learning a lot about how COVID affects asthmatics. And so some of this information may be subject to change as we know more. But more than anything, it's very important to stress to asthmatics that they should continue their medications during this time. Since there's no evidence that inhalers or biologics increase your risk of acquiring COVID or having complications from it if you do get infected. Now as to in-office spirometry, first and foremost, if you're performing spirometry, you really must ensure that your staff are adequately protected and hopefully you're minimizing droplet formation for patients as well. If you're doing that correctly, in-office spirometry can occur. However, it's very, very important you make sure you have your safety protocols in place to keep everybody safe. Thank you everybody for joining me today. I really appreciate you tuning in. I hope everyone stays safe out there. To obtain your CME credit, please visit primed.com and complete a short post-assessment. If you listen to this podcast on another platform, please refer to the episode description, where there is a direct link to the activity page on primed.com for claiming CME credit. We thank you again for joining Primed for today's podcast. Remember to claim your CME credits for the program on this activity's landing page on primed.com slash podcast. That's pri-med.com slash podcasts. Also, be sure to check out all of our other podcasts and primary care activities on primed.com as well. See you next time.